Tēnā koutou, no mai, haere mai. Good morning and welcome to Q&A for 2020. I'm Jack Tame. It's great to be back for another year of political current affairs and an election in just seven months' time. And yes, as you've noticed, we're on Sunday mornings. This is for eight weeks before we switch back to Monday evenings. So please pour a coffee and settle in. We're kicking off the programme this year with Simon Bridges, leader of a party whose support hasn't strayed far from its party vote result at the last election. Is this Simon's year? What needs to happen for National to get back in power? New Zealanders can finally see light at the end of the tunnel. Actually, they can't because Labor cancelled it, Mr Speaker. But don't worry, because National gets things done and we'll build it. We have much more for you, some fascinating insights into China's handling of its coronavirus crisis. Two powerhouse Māori leaders, Sir Mark Solomon and Merepeka Raukawa Tate, on how the Māori vote will shape this election. Plus vandalism, protests and angry ratepayers, the war over water. I failed to mention we're having uh, water restrictions at the moment. Water restrictions by us. Simon Bridges has defied many pundits who predicted he'd be rolled as national leader by now. According to the latest One News Colmar Brunton poll, National's party vote support is holding strong. But having ruled out working with Winston Peters, the pathways to power in September have narrowed. Unless National or ACT significantly improves their party vote, Simon Bridges has to hope New Zealand First or the Greens drop below the 5% threshold and don't win an electorate seat or the party will have to rely on the support of another minor party. So what's the plan? National Party leader Simon Bridges. Tēnā koe, welcome to Q&A 2020. Good morning. I want to begin uh, with some of the events of this week, yeah. first of all this morning. Winston Peters and his changing explanation on photographs of two journalists that were taken in Tauranga meeting with the party's former president. Do you accept that New Zealand First was not responsible for taking and no. publishing those photographs? No, I think Winston Peters didn't in his initial response to the issue either. I mean, you know my position. I can't trust New Zealand First, and I don't think New Zealanders can either. I think what's happened is very chilling. I think ultimately the Prime Minister does have to front up here. Um, I think she wants to hide on this. She can't. This is her Deputy Prime Minister. It's her coalition partner. Uh, it's really all about how her government came uh, to pass. And I think some very basic questions. Ultimately, uh, the main question is, does she, and she's uh, prevaricated on this, trust her Deputy Prime Minister? But, but then we ask, to your point, who took the photo? Um, who passed it to the blog? And, and I think it uh, beggars belief, really, to say that somehow it was a coincidence out on the streets that one well-known journalist, actually one not at all well-known, uh, has been photographed and those have put, been put into a political, uh, a political blog. Let's turn our attention to the election. We're just seven months out. What is your path to power? Well, I think, you know, to answer some of what you said straight up in your introduction, um, on your last three polls, actually, we are government, uh, and I appreciate it's very close. That would be the point I would make. All MMP elections are tight, um, even when, in a sense, they seem like they're not. This one really is. Mm. I think it will be the closest uh, we've seen potentially ever. I every single vote will count. So we don't take uh, or count our chickens uh, for granted. I think what we have have to do is really make sure people understand if they want a national-led government, they've got to vote for us. And, and in a sense, although I believe I made the New Zealand first decision for the decision for the right reasons, mm. what is also true is it clarifies things for New Zealanders. A vote for uh, New Zealand first is a vote for Labour, Greens, New Zealand first. If you want a national-led government, you're going to have to vote for okay, it. OK, then. A couple of points I want to pick, on, uh, pick yeah. up on. 
Do you think it's unlikely any minor party that has yet to emerge will come through and support National? I wouldn't be as bold as say unlikely. I mean, in this scenario... OK, what, 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 what party? Well, you know, you know, look, there's the Māori Party, there's others. But the I'm Māori Party play... said they probably wouldn't support you. I'm but... not going to play that game, Jack, because the reality of the situation is uh, no. you've had three recent polls that put us okay. there. For me to shoot to win, i just got to go out and get every single vote. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. What you're telling me is for you to be sitting here this time next year as Prime Minister, you need New Zealand first to get booted out of Parliament. Well, let me comment on that. I'm not going to tell voters what to do, right? Well, actually, I'd like you to vote for me. Uh, but the voters will determine that. But I, but I will say this to you. Actually, look at the SFO stuff. Uh, there's, there's the stuff around the photos we've just been talking about. Uh, there's a, a Shane Jones slush fund, I think, has deep problems... But ultimately, I say New Zealand First doesn't deserve to get back. Uh, and it's not for those reasons. It's just because they haven't said, done what they said they accept, would do. Do you accept your future comes down to whether or not New Zealand First gets back into Parliament? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, there are scenarios. In fact, your polls show quite clearly where we are 46 47%, where there's Act, and potentially there are other but things Zealand, that no, can but, happen. But those polls, those polls show New Zealand First under the 5% threshold, assuming they don't win an electorate. Jack, I'm not going to construct a government for you today, right? Well, I'm just, I'm shooting to win. If I'm a national voter, if I'm a national voter watching this program right now, though, I want to know what the strategy is. I mean, you have held the party support at, at more or less that mid-40 mark since the last the election. The strategy is just, simple. Just let me finish. So, so, in order to get back into parliament, uh, to get back into government. You need New Zealand first to be booted out of Parliament. It's simple, isn't it? Look, the strategy is even simpler than that. You can forget all the stuff you've just said. Is this? It's going to be a really close election. Every single vote counts. If you want a national government, you're going to have to vote for it. Who in the National Caucus has the best relationship with Winston Peters? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not going to sort of get into that. I mean, you know the, you know the deal, and I are, want New are Zealanders there, are there, to be... Are there, are there members of your no, caucus because, who have a better relationship Because here's, here's the issue, mate. It's this simple. After the election, if New Zealand first holds the balance of power, we're not calling him, and we won't be answering calls from him. You won't be calling him. What about other members of your caucus? You, you say all this, though, Jack, as if somehow it's a better situation no, no, no. Uh, for Jacinda Ardern. No, We've no, got no. a very clear situation there, actually. We're on your polls. Uh, she relies on the Greens. And I think a very valid question to be asking there is, actually, um, what will they be requiring behind closed doors in a Labour-Green government? I can't be any more sort of straightforward with New Zealanders than this. Um, there's those three parties on the left and there's us and act there on the right. If you want that, you should vote for it. Would, would you, if it came to the situation where your caucus looked at the numbers on election night and said we could form a government if we had New Zealand first support, if your caucus said no, we want to get back into government... We're prepared to do a deal with Winston Peters. Would you, as party leader, stand down? It's not going to happen. I'll tell you what, it's not going to happen. Would you? No, if no. that was the scenario, just answer the question. Very simple question. Well, no, no, Would go, you stand down? I'm going down? to answer your question. Uh, I, I took this matter to the board of the National Party. They unanimously supported it. I took it to the National Party caucus. There was spontaneous applause. For the right principled reasons, we are not working with New Zealand first after the election. And you can dress it up in all these ways. And was this a scenario where you're not really meaning what you mm. say uh, when you speak on behalf of the National Party? I mean what I say, and I do what I say. We're not answering their calls. We will not be working with them.
The Salvation Army has released its State of the Nation report this week mm. suggesting housing affordability is getting worse. The last national government was criticised for inaction on poverty and mm. housing. Does your record sit well in that space? I think our record uh, sits well in a raft of areas. On housing, I think we had the right policies, but we were two years too late in terms of what we did. I don't go to the selection uh, very clear on what we'll do. We've got a government that's failed to deliver. They don't have a plan. We do. We're going to deliver a stronger economy, more, economy, more money in people's pockets, uh, roads and transport, and actually safer, more secure families. Right, then give me some definite answers in the housing space. Would you reverse Labor's moves on ring-fencing losses? Yes. Would you uh, reverse healthy rental standards? Uh, not in relation to insulation. The other ones, I think the problem is they have increased the cost so would you uh, reverse for renters. Uh, I would need to go through the detail, but by and large, yes. Would National ever enact a policy that would bring house prices down? Well, I think the reality is we live in a world of reality. I don't see house prices going down yeah. significantly. So would you, ever, would you ever enact a policy that I would think, bring house prices down? I think what good policies can do, like RMA land reform, like building lots of houses... Bring in, in the yeah, last absolutely. government? absolutely. In so, fairness so to National, just, we didn't have the numbers. Just answer that question. Really simple I'm question. going to answer your question. Uh, I think the reality of what we can do is stem the rise uh, that we have seen for some time and that we continue to see. And the way to do that is bold, significant RMA and land reform. So we're still looking at a million dollars plus to buy a house in Auckland? Well, the reality is we could try and uh, get apartments, we can intensify and have things under that. Uh, but what is also true is I don't envisage, and I don't think you'll have any politician on your show telling you otherwise, that somehow we'll see a $1.5 million house value plummet to $1 million or $800,000 would, would uh, all the like. Would you allow foreigners to buy homes here? Yes, I think though there is a happy medium between where we were in the past uh, and where this government is. So how is, do you enact that? Where medium? you, for example, set values on what you would and wouldn't uh, allow. So what would you allow? Well, we'll release our policy on those seven areas months in out. June. This is, I mean, you've said that National yeah, is the yeah, party with the plan months. for housing. So, and, and so, tomorrow, so what's the limit? And tomorrow, Jack, I will be putting forward a very significant economic speech. Let's, uh, will, let's I will talk about that. Where I will line out uh, exactly uh, where our plan is going so New Zealanders uh, have real certainty on some of these Well, you're things. the one who says that you have the, you have the plans for housing. Let's talk about the economy. Chris Bishop made an interesting speech uh, regarding uh, transport and infrastructure investment this week. You have acknowledged an infrastructure deficit. How much sovereign debt are you comfortable with? I think we shouldn't treat debt lightly, right? So let's just deal with transport, because I think you want to take this holistically. There's two things in transport. Firstly, this government obviously hasn't done anything, and in fact, we think in terms of what they've now announced, we need to do How more. How much debt are you right? comfortable I'll with? I'll get to that, but I think it's really important. I think the second point is, who can deliver? Look, you only need to mention Ki Kiwi Build. These guys can't build houses. I don't think they'll deliver this area. How much debt? Debt, right? There's two basic yep. issues. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not a, um, this is the number or that. Either we have it's a... capital expenditure. We all understand Either we have a significant answer here. We don't get into yes or no's on this stuff, Jack. Well, it's so actually here's the very answer. simple. Give us a number. If you are prepared to invest to significantly address our infrastructure deficit, what's the number Okay, so let me to? answer. 
I don't take debt lightly, right? Even in a low interest environment. I think um, actually New Zealanders know that it's you, your children and your grandchildren will have to mm -hmm. pay it back. The significant issue with this government has been the wasteful spending. And, and it's all very well to say, well, look, it's for infrastructure. I would argue when you've wasted two billion bucks on Kiwi Build, two billion bucks on fees free, 300 million just the other day okay. on homelessness in a knee-jerk way without any so plan. So, so four and a half billion dollars. Expenditure. That, sure, sure. But debt was my question. And, if four and, and a half billion dollars isn't going to cover the deficit, so how much debt are you comfortable with? Are you prepared to, to borrow more than this Jack, government? Jack, we will put out costed plans later this year and you will see these things in black and white. But I think New Zealanders understand there is good and bad debt. If you're borrowing to okay. pay for your home or for your mechanics workshop, that's one thing. Not for the casino or a sports car. And my view is this government has not made the case for more borrowing because actually they're wasting the money along the way and New Zealanders can see that. Are you going to promise tax cuts? Yes. How much and where? Well, tomorrow I will outline that our economic plan will involve... Uh, no, it's but not, not right now. <laughs> we're all here, we're it, all watching. It, it, it will involve tax relief, uh, infrastructure, uh, spend and investment, uh, regulatory relief, a families package and a small businesses package. Who, who and should... we'll run through some of that and how I see that unfolding. On tax, let me just say this to you. You, you already know... Uh, we've said no new taxes next term. Uh, we will get rid of the regional fuel tax and we will index for cost of living increases. But I think we need to do more. And the case is very straightforward. There are people out there right now who feel they are treading water and going backwards. Cost of living daily is getting all over them. And so we believe there is a very clear case today for tax relief. Simon Bridges, National Leader, Tinakwe. Thanks sure. for your time. Plenty to talk about there. We have a cracking panel after the break. Ella Henry and Ben Thomas are with us. And then a little later, an expert insight on the coronavirus and how much we should believe the Chinese government. Plus, our summer of drought. It's crazy because you've got all these farms in there that are, just, that, that are fine and then people that are ratepayers that are that we're not allowed to water our own gardens. The water restrictions that are inflaming tensions over who gets to access our water. Tēnā welcome back to Q&A and welcome to my panel, Ella Henry, Associate Professor and Director of Māori Advancement at the AUT Faculty of Business, Economics and Law, and PR Practitioner, former National Staffer, Ben Thomas. Tēnā koutoua, Happy New Year, and thanks Tēnā for being koutoua. with us in 2020. Ben, I'll start with you. I want to uh, consider Winston Peters' statements this week regarding the photographs that were taken of two journalists investigating the New Zealand First Foundation. Do you accept Winston Peters' explanation that his party was not responsible for those photos? Well, yeah, I was going to ask which explanation. So there were, there were two stories. The first was we took the photos and we did it to show up the journalists, which suggests that actually the New Zealand First Party was involved in basically stalking some journalists, meeting with sources, and then laundering that in a political attack through the successor to the whale oil blog that was involved in dirty politics. Um, his second explanation was, actually it had nothing to do with us, <laughs> he tweeted yesterday. Um, so there's a clear conflict of stories. Uh, one of the stories really doesn't paint the, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister of the country in a very good light. Um, the Prime Minister has refused to comment on this so far, saying it's a New Zealand First Party matter. The Cabinet Manual is very clear. The personal conduct of a Minister, the Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Minister Winston Peters, 
is a matter for the Prime Minister's responsibility. This is definitely Jacinda Ardern's problem. Ella, do you agree with that? Should Jacinda Ardern be saying something? Uh, well, I, I, OK, so I know that this is an issue that's blown up in the media for those political pundits who care. Um, I hang out at a university with a bunch of young people who don't. Um, so, to me, this seems like the lead-up to the kind of political mm. um, chicanery that will be part and parcel of our media for the next six mm. months. Mm. In other words, I don't really care. OK. Let's talk about Simon Bridges. So, we, we laid the mats out pretty clearly there. Um, he was unable to say whether or not another minor party is going to come through and support National come September. National has held that party vote support at more or less the same place it was at the last election. But in order to get into government, they need New Zealand First or the Greens to slip under five and not win an electorate seat. Is that a fair assessment, Ben? It was always going to be necessary to kick out one of the struts from under the government. Um, and New Zealand First was always the most vulnerable. It's failed to clear the 5% threshold both previous times that it's been in government. And, you know... New Zealand First holds within it the seeds of its own destruction. Uh, Simon Bridge's decision to rule out working with Winston Peters about two weeks ago is now looking very prescient in terms of the mounting concerns and mounting issues, the SFO investigation, the, collabora the, the seeming collaboration with uh, right-wing attack blogs mm. to launder political attacks on journalists. But it's a hell of a bet, isn't it, to, to bet against Winston Peters in an election year and for the party with the, the consistently polls with the high highest party vote support in New Zealand to get back into government, they need to hope that Winston doesn't get in? No, I, th I think it's a, as, at least as big a gamble, probably more, for the Prime Minister to look back at 2008 when Helen Clark turned a mm. blind eye to the sort of unbecoming conduct of her Foreign Minister Winston Peters during an SFO investigation. Um, and that saw New Zealand first turfed out of Parliament and the Labour government turfed out of government. Um, and I, I think the gamble here is the government's. Ella, can you see any scenario in which New Zealand first would win a seat in, say, Northland? I think that Shane has a high profile amongst a number of the communities in the north. Um, he'll have to do a lot more work, particularly mm. with Māori woman after the putty-putty, mm. you know thing. Um, but the reality is, I, th I think there are two referenda that are going to bring an interesting assortment of people who may not have, vo have voted at the last election who want to this time. And truth be told, um, I'm more interested in just watching the next six months of drama play out because it's seriously better than Game of Thrones. Do you expect, as Ben does, that this is going to continue to drag on, especially with the New Zealand First Foundation serious fraud office investigation? There is a difference, though, between 2008, of course. Winston Peters stood down as a minister in 2008. Do you think he should be standing down now? I don't think he will. I think he's a battler and a fighter and um, has been extraordinarily resilient for over 30 years now. Uh, but this is, in many ways, keeping his party in the eye of the country, with for good or ill. And sometimes he's been able to turn that into his advantage. Should he be standing down, Ben? I would have thought that it's a no-brainer that if a senior minister's um, 
funding arrangements are being investigated by the SFO. And we should note he insists, he in, of course, Winston Peters well, insists that uh, he will be vindicated, that New Zealand First will be vindicated, that he and, personally... Oh, and look, absolutely, nothing's proven at this stage, but what we do know is that there have been more conflicting stories about the relationship uh, between uh, New Zealand First and Winston Peters and the New Zealand First Foundation. The official line is that it's completely independent, it's arm's length, it's nothing to do with it. Uh, but then at other times, for instance, during his Facebook live stream uh, this week, Winston Peters was going into quite a lot of detail in terms of what he could mm. rule out in terms of what the foundation had been up to. Yeah, interesting, uh, back to Simon Bridges' interview, interesting couple of comments uh, regarding both debt and taxation there. He couldn't give us a number as to the debt level that he would be comfortable with. Um, looks at what he considers to be lazy or poor spending from the governments in, in terms of uh, making out that infrastructure deficit. What do you think we can expect in terms of Nationals tax relief announcement? Well, I think de our debt levels are traditionally low at the moment anyway, and we do ha we know we have desperate need for infrastructure around the country. So whichever government makes it through mm. is going to have to spend big and spend wisely almost immediately after election. So the next month, I think, is going to be the time when they've both got to um, produce the, you know, the, the lollies mm. and the lolly bag. Ben, should National outspend this government and outborrow this government? I think they have to on infrastructure. Um, they've been running the line for the last two years at least that they're the party of infrastructure. They really got gazumped by Labor with its $12 billion um, spending package announcement. You know, their argument now has been reduced to we're the party of infrastructure, just like the current government, which is doing all the same things we were planning to. And so in order to really differentiate themselves, which seems to be something that they value, they are going to have to bump up the spend. All right. Thanks for your time. We will be back with the panel, Ella Henry and Ben Thomas, shortly. An ex-tropical cyclone is due to give the West Coast and Lower South a good drenching today, but many areas that really need the water remain bone dry. It's funny, isn't it? 50 years ago, it would have been mad to suggest that Kiwis would be fighting over water, but that is exactly what's happening in some places where water restrictions are starting to bite. Here's reporter Fina Owen. On the Aupore Peninsula, avocado orchards are quickly closing in around an historical piece of Northland, a unique wetland and old gum fields. It's been in Johnny Johnson's family for a century, now a tourist attraction. Soon after the avocado orchards went in, Johnny noticed his water supply change. It dried up. My ball went dry. The avocado orchards drill deep into the aquifer and Johnny believes that has altered the flow of water. Since raising his complaint, the growers have offered him a water line. So you could have taken, then taken the rainwater off your roof? Yeah, but they said, no, we don't want you taking the water off the roof because of the helicopter spraying with pesticides and what have you. The avocado growers? The avocado growers, yeah. He's now beholden to the growers for his personal water supply, but he has bigger worries. This was a stream that fed the wetland. Now it's dried up. Now the wetland's not getting charged because there's no water coming because the avocado farms stopped the water from coming through here. So we're relying solely on rainwater now. But that may be a problem. Niwa says the far north may have to wait until May or June for rain. Further north, more avo orchards line the road into Hohora. They're providing much-needed jobs to this economically challenged region. But here, big avocados' demand for water has split the community. I'm on both sides. I am. 
I mean, as an area, we're, if you haven't got the fresh water, you've got nothing. A lot of people are being given hope, a purpose, a job, learning some skills. Economic development versus risk to um, our aquifer, compromising our water and our people's health because of the chemical spray and compromising our beaches and waterways doesn't make sense to me. Karen Nakora Kerr belongs to the environmental group called We Are Water. Those three words over the new year were graffitied at a local orchard. Windbreaks slashed, water lines cut, and 20 trees destroyed. Why would I write We Are Water on a, on a, on a fence? I might as well just put my phone number up there. Shane Blucher used to own the land where the vandalism happened. He's hoping to start his own avocado orchard if he gets his water consent. I was ashamed that that happened within our area. Tensions have been mounting over the number of big consents for water going through. 17 approved, another 24 being considered next month. Shane Blucher doesn't think Karen's group was responsible for the vandalism. But, you know, they did stir up a lot of hysteria over it. Maybe it's an inside job. I don't know. They've got insurance. Meanwhile, Q&A was told the workers have been instructed not to talk to media. Many people in the town have family working in the orchards, but Curran is staying focused on the way. Well, it's a water grab. So, so if you've got money, you can go and get a, get a, um, a consent for water and, and that's yours. But when the people run out of water, you're going to have to get a truck and go and buy some water. Half an hour down the road in Kaitaia, where the highest water restrictions are in place, we meet Corrie Takaharoa Bond, who tells us he's struggling to grow his own kai. Well, how do you feel about the water situation here in Kaitaia? It's crazy. It's crazy because you've got all these farms in there that are just that, that are fine, and then people that are ratepayers that are that we're not allowed to water our own gardens. This is James Baker. He and his wife run a busy car valet business, but with Kaitaia on a level four water restriction, there's no work. His wife Tui explains. It's had a really major effect on our business and our family. The residents who are ignoring the water and ban, she said, have a beef with the council. At the moment, it's more like a blame game, like um, whose fault is it, um, the council should do this and that. People are saying, well, you know, you should have done more, and I accept that we probably should have in hindsight. But really? You do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a fair, justified criticism that in hindsight I and, and we as a council should have given better leadership. The mayor says a temporary fix is on its way. In the meantime, he's urging people not to panic. Across the country, people are making up their own mind about water rights and letting it rip on social media. I failed to mention we're having uh, water restrictions at the moment. Water restrictions, by us. Water quality is also an issue in Kawaro and across in Whakatane, as local Tale Bryant tells us. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Residents have been asked to conserve water here in an area with water bottling plants exporting the local water that hasn't gone down well. A lot of people are just like mocking it, saying, oh, we're not going to conserve our water if you want to just go and sell all of our water. It used to be water running through here. Back at the Gum Diggers um, Park, Johnny Johnson is telling us about the rare orchids, the mudfish, the geckos and the wetland that no longer have a water source. He says over the last few years, it's been hell fighting for his water. I stress about it, I really have, you know, all the time. 
this is why I'm sort of speaking out about it because I think it's just really bad for our environment, especially this that I'm trying to save, all these rare plants and wildlife that they haven't got a, a, a say. So I have to speak out for them, you know. I, I feel this is what I have to do. Gina Owen reporting there. Now for the new year we have a new segment on Q&A. This year we'll be talking to Kiwis from all walks of life about the kind of big picture changes they think the country needs. We're calling it The One Thing. If you had the power, no matter what it would take, what's the one thing you would do to make Aotearoa a better place? This week, the Salvation Army produced its 13th annual State of the Nation report, and we asked Lieutenant Colonel Ian Hudson for his one thing. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Ian Hudson from the Salvation Army. The one thing that I would change is I would raise core benefits by 30%. Each day as I come to work I see families, parents who are anxious and ashamed because they can't put food on their families' tables. 174,000 children are living in deepest poverty. This isn't the New Zealand that I want to live in. That's why I'm calling on the government to raise benefits and raise them by 30% and I'm asking them to do it now. Is Ian right? I'm sure you have some thoughts on that. Kōrero mai, talk to us on Twitter at NZQ&A, post on our Facebook page or email us at Q&A at tvnz.co.nz. Of course, we also podcast the show. I've spent this week making sure it's available on every platform under the sun so you can listen to it back after you've watched live. After the break, the government's extended its temporary ban on foreigners who've travelled from China entering New Zealand. China says countries like New Zealand are overreacting. Are they right? And the fight for the seven Māori seats this election. The Māori Party is determined to make a comeback and win at least one seat off Labour. Two senior Māori leaders tell us how it could play out. That's coming up. Hōki mai anō, welcome back to Q&A. The death toll from the coronavirus continues to rise, but China's foreign minister maintains the outbreak is under control. China is, of course, ground zero for the infection, which has killed more than 1,500 people. Its foreign minister, Wang Yi, criticised countries that have banned travellers from China, saying those restrictions are an overreaction that will hamper tourism and trade. New Zealand is in that group, having just extended our restrictions for another eight days. Rodney Jones is an economist who divides his time between Tamaki Makoto, Auckland and Hong Kong, having lived in Beijing for a number of years. Tina Koi, welcome to Q&A. How do you assess China's handling of the coronavirus? Uh, it's been a very difficult month. So we look back, it actually turns out they knew about it earlier than they said. There's documents that suggest Xi Jinping knew about it on January 7th. We didn't really find out about it till the 20th, 21st of January, so two weeks later. And by then the virus was out. What's incredibly important is you need a public health response, you need to deal with it early, you need to contain it. That window was lost in China. What are you hearing from on the ground in China, people at the epicentre of this? Oh, I talk to people in Wuhan, and it's just, it's, it's, it's mind-blowingly bad in terms of, it's what you see in a sci-fi movie, in terms of people being contained in their homes, unable to go out, the streets completely empty. We've never seen anything like this in our lifetimes. We have seen some examples of uncharacteristically public dissent, people in China who are deeply unhappy with their government's handling yeah. of this situation. Is this event 
at all likely, do you think, to undermine the authority of the Communist Party in China? I've never been one to make those predictions. We deal with China as it is. It's very hard for us from the outside to, to see the path and the choices Chinese people will make. But this represents an enormous challenge. It's probably the greatest challenge for the, for the Chinese Communist Party mm. since Tiananmen 30 years ago. Really? This is yes. more significant than SARS? More, more significant than Hong Kong? We are through every previous event. Like SARS actually burnt itself out very quickly. I was in Hong Kong at the time with mm. my family. We left. We came mm. to New Zealand. And it wasn't as bad as we feared at the start. Within three weeks, it, it, it had burnt itself out. This is still going on. And is, is it the length of time that makes this worse? What makes it worse is actually SARS had a higher death rate which means it didn't, in the end wasn't, didn't spread as widely in the community. Mm. This paradoxically has a lower death rate, but represents a greater threat because it's so infectious and spreads so widely. Let's talk about New Zealand's positioning here. The Chinese ambassador to New Zealand, Wu Ji, wants us to lift the travel ban. As I explained, we've, we've extended it for another eight days. That goes further than WTO recommendations. Should we be reconsidering that travel ban? No. No. And I think it's time for the ambassador just to pull her head in a bit, actually, that we need information. China, New Zealand universities need information from China. We need real data that our epidemiologists can work with. China should be in an emergency setting where they are opening themselves up and sharing what information they have, what data, and explaining how this virus works. Countries like Singapore now battling an outbreak, we didn't have that information early yeah. enough. And I think China, this is one of the worst governance failures we've seen in recent years, decades. This is a serious governance failure. And it's a little bit tiresome to have the Chinese embassy lecturing us when we are grappling in an information vacuum on something that's profoundly serious. Will there be political repercussions for New Zealand? No, well, we have to stop worrying about that. A year ago, we were worried about had we offended China. There was a whole complete panic and a beat up. That's the last time I was on the yeah, show, I was yeah. talking about that. Now we have a real shock. I mean, this shock goes beyond anything we've seen. Each week that China's shut probably takes a 1% off their GDP. Now, maybe in a recovery, they'll, they'll recover half of that. But this is, you know, the economists are kind of hedging their bets. But right now, China's only likely to grow 3% this year. Mm. And um, the first quarter growth could be as low as zero. Now, they may not report that. But that's what our businesses will be encountering. Mm. This is the weakest growth for China in 30 years. You have been modelling the fallout from this. What are the likely economic implications for New Zealand? Well, New Zealand businesses are already experiencing it. We see it in tourism, we see it in logging, we see it in education, we see it in fishing and crayfish. I mean, you can add it up. It's already in play. Now, what the ideal scenario would be somehow this week we have a miracle, the virus is contained, mm. and China goes back to work on the 24th. That doesn't seem likely, which means we're looking at a longer disruption. If this lasts into March, which is possible, then we're looking at quite a severe economic shock. I mean, we have crayfish sitting in tanks waiting to be exported. We have universities around the country uh, waiting for students Our logging, to arrive. Know, the the yeah. logs are piling up uh, at the ports. I mean, is, is there the potential that this will, will cost hundreds of millions, billions of dollars for the New Zealand economy? Yeah, well, we're a $300 billion economy, and so in the end, it could take a percent or two. So, yes, those, that, unless it resolves quickly in the next week and China's back at work and mm. March 2nd, the Chinese economy is back. How likely is that, though? For, from your modelling and expertise in this space, how likely is it? 
Well, you know, what, what we're good at is just modelling data and how it affects the economy, not public mm. health. But it, 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 there's a persistence. We, we worry, we look at the roads around Hubei, the connections with other provinces. I mean, some of the data, since Xi Jinping declared this a people's war, some of the data has become harder to interpret. It was fantastic in the early days when mm. it was relatively free. You feel a tightening up. But I, I think this is going to be... The odds are this represents a severe economic shock. Each day matters. We'll know, you know, we'll know more in a week. We'll know more in two weeks. Does China need to shut down its wet markets? It isn't, I should point out, it isn't the only country to have these to live have animal markets. markets. I mean, no. they're in South America and, a and yeah, Africa, yeah, other parts of Asia. Yeah, that's just a symptom. The fundamental issue, we, we look at China, we look at Belt and Road, mm. we look at the enormous buildings, we go there, we look at the infrastructure above ground. Mm. There's two things. The infrastructure below the ground mm. is inadequate, the sewerage systems that leave you vulnerable to these sorts of outbreaks. And the second thing is public health. There's a lack of GPs, a lack of primary health care. They may have a fantastic military, but they don't have a good basic public health system. Mm -hmm. And those are the two takeaways for China from this. The wet markets are kind of a symbol. What allows these viruses to spread and propagate is the lack of an effective public health system. Rodney Jones, thank you so much for your time yeah, and insights. Up next on Q&A, the Māori seats could be in contention this election, with the Māori Party vowing to win back at least one to get back into Parliament. Two powerhouse Māori leaders join me after the break. Will Māori politics shape this year's election? We're watching the money being whittled away by the government taking it back into their own control and using it for their programs rather than looking at what has been successful. Dame Tariana Turia there, one of five Māori leaders behind a Waitangi tribunal claim, alleging the Crown has breached the treaty in its approach to whānau order. Whānau order, a holistic approach of improving outcomes for Māori, was a Māori party policy in the last government. One of the other leaders behind the claim is Metapeka Raukawa Tate, Te Arawa Whānau Order Commissioning Agency Chair for the North Island. Beside her is Sir Ta Mark Solomon, Kaitahu, and Chair for the Agency in the South Island, Te Waipaunamu. Tēnā kōrua, welcome to Q&A. Metapeka, I'll begin with you. You met with Jacinda Ardern this week regarding your concerns around the funding for Whānau Order. Did you get what you wanted? Uh, well, we we were very pleased that the minister did, uh, the prime minister did make time to meet with us, and our discussions were very full and frank. Obviously, when you've got Dame Nader and Dame Tariana in the room, there's nothing but a full and frank discussion. Uh, the prime minister was concerned with what we had to say to her. Was that we feel there has been an undermining of the value of final order, and uh, I suspect that she has she wasn't fully informed about not so much the value, but about what we were concerned about. Uh, what we think is at stake, if you start to haul final order funding back into the mainstream agencies, mm. government agencies, then to us that would be the death knell. When you say she wasn't informed in that space, what do you mean by that? Well, we explain clearly about final order, and she does know about final order, and she knows the value, but I don't believe that she knew the, the degree of underfunding that has been that we've been experiencing and also the undermining by her minister the minister of final order about the value of final order Penny Hinare, the minister responsible mm -hmm. has suggested that your letter might have been motivated for political reasons mm -hmm. you are a member of the Maori party that's, right. that's true do, do politics play a role in this 
I think politics always plays a role in it. So but you sent that letter for, for political reasons? No, no, we sent that letter because we, were, we are concerned. We are the leaders in our community. We are the leaders of this program, which is really about a different method of, of delivering social services to support Māori in their aspirations, in their aspirations and their priorities. Uh, and it has been highly successful. So when you've got a minister now that decides that he's mm. going to look at funding and perhaps put it back into government agencies, it's not going to be successful so, any longer. So, so have your concerns been alleviated after that meeting with the Prime Minister? Um, not so far, not so far, but all we have to say is that the Prime Minister was willing to, to listen to us and, uh, and, and we made it quite clear that um, we know what's at stake long term if, if Whānau order uh, gets undermined by the government and by her minister. So uh, we will watch this space. Ta Mark, your name wasn't on that letter, no. I noticed. Should we read anything into that? No, not at all. Um, I read about the uh, claim in the media. Right. I put a letter out as the chairman of uh, the GPL of Tupitahitanga in support of the concept um, because we genuinely believed also that with the funding, the 80-odd million that had been put across for Fana order was going to a government agency. And I would point out, so did Tapuni Kokiri. Do you share Metapeka's concerns regarding the performance of the final water minister, Penny Hinata? Um, I've, to be honest, I've only met the minister twice on a personal level. Um, I do have concerns around the funding regime. If I take Tapuni in the south as an example, we have 57 navigators, but we're funded for 16. Now, those navigators are uh, playing a huge role in improving the lot out there for amongst our whānau. They're needed, but as I say, we have 57, but we're funded for 16. And we thought, with all the rhetoric about the money coming for whānau water, would boost the delivery. Metapeka, what will it take for you to withdraw your claim? Well, it'll take a lot more than just um, people nodding and saying, yes, you're doing great work. We want to see significant uh, funding coming our way, particularly coming up in, in this budget. Uh, we also expect uh, the Minister of Whānau Order to go out to bat for us and actually to articulate the value of Whānau Order uh, in, in, mm. as opposed to the normal government agency response to, to providing services. They have never served us well, and the Minister should know that. And if he wants to go off and say, well, we're going to look at um, hauling back or, or funding government agencies to provide so, uh, final order services, um, then he, know, he should know what's at stake. And so um, he needs to step up, actually, and, and really, because he probably thinks, well, yes, it was a Māori Party initiative from the previous government. Um, well, so what? If it's been highly successful, then support it. But tro stop trying to make himself relevant and, uh, because it's not going to work. Tāmark, your inquiry into Oranga Tamariki yes. called for a complete overhaul. Is that going to happen? The evidence is there. The evidence is there in their own review of the happenings at Hawke's Bay. The evidence is there in the Children's Commissioner's report. Its evidence is there in the Ombudsman's report. There are issues of structure of delivery within Oranga Tamariki that need to be addressed. And I participated in some of the programs where we met with those that have been through the system. And they weren't just parents that had had their children taken from them. Mm. There were grandparents, there were social workers. Mm. They, they're all raising the same sort of concerns. I mean, to sit in a meeting where a woman makes the statement, it is far better to stay and take the beatings than raise your hand for help, because if you do, you lose your children. So do you have confidence anything is going to happen? No. Why? I think if we keep the pressure up, yes, 
they will change. There's a lot of rhetoric out there, but the actions to date are not matching the rhetoric. What do you mean by that? Well, there's lots of talk about relationship with iwi, etc. Um, let's be real about that. Naitahu joined up in a relationship last year, Tuhoi last year, Tainui Wakato the year before. Three iwi out of 59. They what don't have big relationships. I grew up in the era in Canterbury under the, uh, the Matua Whangai. The woman that run it in Christchurch was a woman, Kui Neho Neho, Kui Sterling. Now, Kui knew all the families. If a family got into trouble, she could immediately have yeah. contact with the extended whānau. When Matua Whangai was got rid of, and it was take, the role taken over by Sips at the time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they lost all those connections. Yeah, Just what we're to, talking about. To, to, mm. to be clear, though, you, you, you don't have faith at the moment that anything is going to change. Like I say, there's lots of rhetoric, but we haven't seen the actions yet. Let's, consi- let's consider Labor a- and the government. And what, I, what I will say, we've now got a process underway yeah. where we're st- there's a process of setting up an independent complaints process for Oranga Tamariki, potentially through the Ombudsman's office. There's a process mm. of beefing up the Children's Commissioner's role, splitting it in two. One, he still has the role of advocacy, but the other, a Commissioner's role, will be monitoring the performance mm. He's given one report. Mayor Pekka, the Māori Party president, Chay Wilson, has indicated that if the Māori Party were to make it back into Parliament, they would likely support Labour over National. But is Labour living up to its promises for Māori? Well, what we're seeing right now, I don't believe so. I mean, we've got a number of uh, Māori, the Māori seats and, and, and a certainly an increased number of Māori members of Parliament in this current government, and they're, they're conspicuous mm. by their absence. Um, if, it's, if it's water, ihumatau, if it's whānau ora, yeah. uh, oranga tamariki, where are they? Why okay. aren't they speaking out? They know the issues. You, you, are, you are with the Māori Party. Mark, I believe you're not uh, affiliated not with a any member party of any directly. political party What's of this your country? assessment? I come from a traditional Labour family. I do not believe that they're delivering. Again, there's lots of rhetoric. You know, we will have this relationship, we will do this, but we are yet to see the proof of their rhetoric. Will Labour lose a Māori seat? Potentially. Where? Could be anywhere. Well, I hope they do. The issues are raising all over the country. I know you do. (laughs) Well, I do hope they do, because then you would get an independent... You would get again an independent voice for Māori in Parliament. Where would it happen? Mm. Well, who knows? Who knows? And people are talking about obviously Tamaki Makoto. There's some whispering about um, Wairiki, where I live, and of course the other one over over in Whanganui area. Uh, but it's it's really a matter of of our people have high expectations now. Would would mm. Te Ururua stand again in Wairiki? I suspect not. I think he'd probably give us a great sigh of relief after doing all of his years there. Mm. And I think he was very effective as well. But, you know, you've got to keep, you've always got to take your people with you. And sometimes if you do not, then, of course, you know what the consequences are. But the, 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 um, the, land is, the landscape is changing. And young Māori are disconnected so often from, from labour force participation. Um, and they're not healthy, many of them. And so what do we do? Do we just say, oh, well, you know, the government's going to pick up on it? No, the government's not going to pick up on it. You've got to have a voice for Māori with Māori 
in there actually advocating the whole, te whole time. When you have got mainstream political parties, mm. they will always cater to their core constituency, not to the Māori for the Māori agenda. And, we, and, and young people are getting impatient, as indeed so they should. They have every right to want to contribute in, in, in New Zealand society, mm. but they see themselves getting pushed further and further to the margin. And the people who have a leadership role of speaking out to advocate for them, they're actually stum, saying nothing. Mark Solomon, Thanks for your time. The panel is back after the break on Q&A and we have a quiz for all of you political junkies. Former Prime Minister Mike Moore was farewelled at his funeral on Friday. Back in 1972, he became the youngest MP at age 23. In which seat did he stand? That answer coming up. Kia ora te whanau. welcome back to Q&A. We're back with our panel, Ella Henry and Ben Thomas. Ella, I'll begin with you. Let's pick up on that last interview. Do you think it's at all likely Labour will lose one of the seven Māori seats this election? If the Māori Party can galvanise and develop enough, uh, relate, you know, rebuild the relationships that have been harmed over the last few years by their absence, um, I think there's a very strong possibility that at least one or two of the, the Māori seats would be in jeopardy. Do you agree with that, Ben? Always hard to tell. The Māori seats are notoriously difficult to poll and they're not polled often, so we're, we're really relying on hunches and anecdotes a lot. It's also a bit a slack just to say Māori them in general, isn't it? Um, yeah, the, the, very hard to get back into Parliament without, you know, a party organisation that's backed up by public funding, you know, sort of de facto through Parliament. Um, you know, they've got some good candidates that they've announced, but they've had very good candidates before, and Labour are very hard to shift in those seats. Um, so it's, you know... And, and also, I'm, I'm a little confused personally about, you know, the rebrand. So the, the Māori Party president uh, has been on Radio New Zealand saying probably won't go with National, probably would be looking to go in with a Labour government. But then you hear rumours about John Tamahiri standing in Tamaki Makoto, um, which is not really the same kind of fuzzy, mm. lefty, PC kind of rebranding that they might be thinking of. You heard some harsh words there for Labour's delivery on its promises uh, for Māori. Are those shared by many people, Ella? I think that Medipeka articulated a, a, a sort of underlying thought in many Māori communities. And I, like you, I'm not talking on behalf mm. of all Māori, just the few that I work with. Um, the sense of disappointment from some about some of the high-profile issues, like Ihumato. Um, so that is certainly going to resonate. What she said is, you know, is going to resonate with our community. But here's the other thing. This is the first election where uh, voters have been born in the 21st century under MMP, and these are real millennials. Yeah, way to make us feel old, Ella. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, 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 you know, if we, the, these are young, very young, motivated, mm. highly astute global citizens because of the, the online presence they have. Uh, they're going to be looking at all these issues, and Māori are included in that. Mm. You know, we may be over-represented amongst the poor, but we're also well-represented amongst the middle-class, articulate, politically mm. active. And I think that all parties are going to have to take account of a Māori perspective on issues when they go to this election. That being said, as Ben, as ben suggested, there is a sense within the Māori party that being too closely associated with national perhaps costs them their place in Parliament. Ben, presuming that some solution, and this might be a big presumption, presuming some, big, uh, some solution is reached for Ihu Mātau, do you expect that Labour will be able to galvanise sufficient support? I... 
Look, I think Ihumato is a bit of a wash because I think people who would be deserting Labour on that issue will go to the Greens and that will keep that block reasonably steady. Um, I, in terms of the Māori electorates, you know, the Māori party swept in on the back of the foreshore and seabed, which was really a huge betrayal mm. by the 2005, uh, to, sorry, 2004 Labour government. Um, and I don't think that there is a similar issue where... You know, it, it really does encompass sort of, you know, because of the, the difficulties we talk about in terms of saying all of Māoridom, well, the foreshore and seabed, uh, that was racist legislation that just targeted people on the basis of ethnicity mm. and removed their access to justice. It's hard to see location-specific issues such as Ihumatau having that same kind of resonance. Ella, you saw our story on some of the contests over water... Not a big surprise to you? Not at all. Um, uh, you know, uh, 25 years ago, Greenpeace, I worked for them, published the book that the wars of the 21st century would be over water, not oil. And we are now seeing that come to pass in a number of countries. Um, water sovereignty is becoming of increasing concern all over the world, and particularly here, mm. where so many people have concerns about who has access to water, who's selling water overseas. So that's going to be for, I think, a lot of young people mm. who go to the country and see how barren it is. Uh, it's, I think it's a bigger issue than people have really thought about. Ella has a lot of faith, I can see, in, in the young vote come September. What are your predictions seven months out? Since it's the first show of the year, we wanted to get a, a general sense of what you are expecting at this stage. My sense is traditionally New Zealanders have given political parties at least two goes often three, um, and I see a Labour Party return, but I do think there will be a change in the kinds of partnerships they have to forge to hold on to that. Ben? During the election campaign, you have much more of a focus on the leadership. You know, people talk about these presidential campaigns that we have. I think Labour will be relying on the Prime Minister uh, in order to pull them ahead of national when she's going head-to-head -head with Simon Bridges over that six weeks. And that's the, that's the real danger for her this year, is that her personal advantages, which is trust, integrity, kindness, positivity, start to get eroded by you know, events such as we've seen recently from her coalition partners. So th that will be the real uh, danger. Other otherwise, I think, you know, Labour would be hoping that the campaign will put a spotlight on them and their leader, and, and that will let them draw clear. I think it'll help other minor party leaders, David Seymour. I think it'll help... Um, the Greens, because Chloe Swarbrick will be very prominent during the uh, the cannabis referendum, and these, um, you know, they'll be putting a, sort of a good foot mm. forward for their parties. All right, Kia ora We really appreciate your time this morning, Ben Thomas and Ella Henry, our panel this morning. Before we go, the answer to our political quiz question. <laughs> Mike Moore won the Auckland seat of Eden in 1972. Here he is having tea and toast at his Wellington flat with his fellow Labour MPs. The Prime Minister at the time was Norm Kirk. Here's the first meeting of that Labour government. It's a little bit hard to spot Mike Moore. As the new guy, he must have been keeping quiet down the back. I know the feeling. Uh, Mike Moore only held it for one term but made a comeback at the 1978 election, this time winning the Christchurch seat of Papua Nui. Thank you so much for watching the first Q&A for 2020. And nā mihi Thanks for your contributions. From all the Q&A team, kia pai te rā, have a good day, and we'll see you next Sunday at 9 o'clock. Q&A is made with the support of New Zealand On Air.